Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come, as is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs of my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take the light in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. We're in a series called Red Sea Rules. And if you've been with us, I think you can understand what the psalmist is trying to say. <laughs> wow. We waited patiently for the Lord. It's really hard to believe that this is good. I know the pillar, the pillar of clouds and, and the pillar of fire led us here. But God, what are you thinking? I mean, really? I can't see the outcome, and it seems rather bleak from where I stand. A few weeks back, we went over Red Sea rule number one, which was God directs our footsteps so he can display his glory. Red Sea rule number two was last week, and it was acknowledge your enemy, but fix your eyes on God. We acknowledge the enemy, but, but we're not influenced or intimidated because we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus means spending time with Jesus, resisting the enemy, and praying. Well, we went over fixing our eyes on Jesus and resisting the enemy last week. Today, we're going to focus on prayer. But before we do that, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its authority in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us stories of, of men and women's faith. And we thank you, Father, for your spirit which teaches us. We look at this story today. We open up a few verses in Exodus 14, and we wonder. We wonder why, Father, the Israelites couldn't believe. We wonder why they couldn't have a better and stronger faith. But God, we come before you, seeing your mighty hand in our lives, and, and also recognize that we struggle with faith. We struggle with circumstances. We struggle when things don't go our way. And we ask you, Lord, are, are you still here? Are you still leading us? Why the pain? Why the hurt? So, God, we look to you today that you would use your word to help us on our journey that we would see you more clearly, that we would love you more and more. We pray for all the different churches in the area, the churches right here, Father, right here in this area that are proclaiming your gospel and encouraging people to follow you with all their heart as they go out and be salt and light in our community. We pray in particular for Connection Church and for Casa de Oración, and for Emmanuel, we know, God, that these churches are proclaiming your word faithfully. Encourage them. Encourage those pastors, Father. We also recognize, Lord, that all over this state and all over our world, our country, there are folks who are worshiping. We know some of them at cost. Others, Lord, have just beginning to go back and meeting in the assembly. There's been others, God, who have met faithfully with you in small groups and, and maybe in homes. But we gather here today, Lord, eager not only to adore you and praise you and thank you for all of you, your working, your blessing, your encouragement. But God, we praise you because... You are king. You are God. You are sovereign. And we thank you for being in control. We pray now, Lord, as we open up your word, that you would teach us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Imagine. Imagine being Israel. Now for us, so many years later, we've heard the story. It's a familiar story. We've told the story. We've read the story. And we even wonder at times, what, what's with these guys? I mean, if we had experienced all the plagues of Egypt, what's their problem? Why don't they trust God? But what's hard, 
what's really hard is that so many times we are in the exact same scenarios and situation. We are. We have walked with God, some of us, for a long time. We have seen God's faithfulness. We have seen him literally do miracles in our life. And we thank him for that. But as soon as we get in a spot, a tough spot, a spot that doesn't seem to make sense to us, a a spot where maybe there's a Red Sea in front of us and there are mountains on the side of us and this unbelievable enemy is relentless and keeps after us. It's kind of scary. And we started asking questions. Are you sure, God? This doesn't seem right. It's not making any sense to me at all. I know you're faithful, and I know I want to trust you, but God, help me trust you. I think this is where the Israelites were. So I would ask you not to condemn them too quickly and and not to, well, put them aside, feeling for some reason that maybe you're better or you're smarter, or you have more faith. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus 14. We're going to read four verses today. We're going to start at verse 10. Exodus 14, starting in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, comma, comma, Things were okay at this moment. Maybe the Israelites, again, (laughs) didn't understand the whole scenario. But now Pharaoh approached. When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, they cried out to the Lord. This is good. This is good. And then they said to Moses, Remember, Moses was their earthly leader. Said to Moses, Why? Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And I'm going to stop there for a second. It's all true. That's exactly true. If these are the options, and you forget that God had already been working. But they had been saying this to Moses, don't don't bother Pharaoh. All we do is get harsher quotas. We're getting whipped more. Stay out of our lives. We're okay with this slavery thing. And Moses knew that these folks were promised a promised land. Don't satisfy yourself with the slavery stuff. Don't don't do that. And listen to what Moses, in my opinion, the friend of God says. The friend of God. But Moses told his people, or the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still. 
And watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. How many times in our lives, maybe not even from God, but from others, maybe from a mom or a dad, when you're sitting there shaking in your boots, you're fearful of some experience or something that's going on, and the words that come out of them are, don't be afraid. And you get a little sassy at that moment. <laughs> what are you talking about? Don't be afraid. Do you know how big that guy is? Do you? Oh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's all the way throughout the scriptures. It's told over and over and over again simply because our God is with us and our God is big and our God is powerful and our God is present. So whatever this circumstance is, even though you are fearing it, it looks large, it looks overwhelming, it looks like you can't handle it, which is probably true, don't be afraid. And then the next thing, so, so unique, so unique, stand still. It, have you noticed not one of us loves standing still, uh, being quiet, sitting there, Normally, you're people of action. But Moses says, hey, I just want you to know, don't be afraid. Just stand there. Stand there. And then he said, watch the Lord rescue you today. Wow. This is your plan, God? So we don't fight, we don't resist, we stand still and watch you work. The Egyptians will never be seen again, Moses told them. The Lord is going to fight for you. Then he says, stay calm. Stay calm. Can you imagine what this type of faith would mean in your daily life? Because God often brings us into storms. And we often pray. And the circumstances often feel overwhelming. And so we cry out to him. Many of you know the story in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus had gone ahead. He was basically up on a mountainside, and, and all the rest of the disciples were in a boat, and they were traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Most of them were fishermen, and the storm came, and it was a bad storm. And the Scripture tells that they were rowing over and over and over and over again and, and probably not making a whole lot of headway. Jesus saw the whole situation Jesus decided to walk on the water. Jesus approached the boat, which once again made them much more fearful looking out there, perhaps even a ghost at this moment. And Jesus talks. Peter, one of the, uh, well, 
few disciples that begins to talk quickly and not think too much. And it basically says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, let me come on out. Let me walk on the water. Now, who actually would even say that? You know, but Peter did. And so Peter gets out and he starts walking. You know the story. And he goes, this is amazing what faith he has. This is so cool. Until the scriptures say that in the midst of this storm, he noticed the wind and the waves. And he started thinking, hey, this isn't good. This is crazy. Who walks on the water? I've never done this before. And he starts thinking. And all the scriptures say is that Peter yelled out an unbelievable crisis prayer. Help me, Jesus. And all Jesus did was lift or or put out his hand and bring him up. One of the things I think that we are going to see in our life is that prayer is the means by which we can remain calm in a storm. When we learn to pray, when we learn to acknowledge who God is, when we remember our God, we can remain calm. Some of you have read the biography of Amy Carmichael, an amazing uh, missionary to India. And one of the things that Amy talks about in her biography is that she learned over in the field when things got extremely tough to what she would call arrow prayers. Very short prayers. Prayers not talking a whole lot about anything other than help Jesus. Her arrow prayers sounded something like this. When there was an opportunity for her to extend kindness or sweetness, she might pray, Thy sweetness, Lord. Shot it up there. Saying, hey, I want to reflect you, God. But right now, I'm not sensing that's going to happen. So very quick, thy sweetness, Lord. Or thy patience, Lord. Oh, that's a good one, especially for parents. Right? Thy patience, Lord. Or thy forgiveness, Lord. When a situation or circumstance, it just seems to be overwhelming, Lord, the only thing I can do right now is thy forgiveness. Help me display it. Sometimes it's just Jesus. A few years back, I was up at camp, and, and I had three senior boys with me. And one of the things you need to know is, I, I'm not exactly sure if this is a skill or what, but Sharon and I over the years have hit nine deer with our cars or vans. It, it never feels good, okay? It just doesn't. And, and as you know, sometimes it can be extremely dangerous for those in the vehicle. These three senior guys, they went to high school camp, and I had promised uh, Jeff, one of them, that he would be able to get back Friday morning at Palatine High School because football practice started then. So the camp went through, and we ended that Thursday night. We got up really early. Everybody piled into, well, the car I had back then was a Parisian wagon, a Pontiac. It's an awesome car, all right, back in that day. And what happened was these guys all piled in. They put their stuff in the back, 
And it was dark when we started off, and they hit the hay right away. I mean, that's just how it is. No good conversation at this moment. All of a sudden, as I was traveling through, actually on 64, what I thought was the, the, the biggest deer in the world. It probably wasn't, but, but it sure looked like that. And all I did was have time at the top of my lungs say, Jesus! Now these guys are all sleeping, by the way. And all they heard was Jesus and a loud thump. (laughs) They didn't know if I was swearing. What was going on? And all I said was, guys, I (laughs) am sorry. It's all that I could think of at the moment. There was this massive deer coming. And I couldn't do a thing. Have you been in those spots where you cry out, Jesus, Jesus? You see, scriptures are filled with Christ's prayer. I call it a shout to your dad. For those who are walking with God, you just shout out to dad. One of my favorite stories is in 2 Kings chapter 6. Some of you may recall this story, but the prophet Elijah had just, well, he didn't die. He passed his mantle to the prophet Elisha. And about uh, this part in 2 Kings kind of gives us some of the adventures of the prophet Elisha. Well, in chapter 6, and you can read this later, um, Israel was at war with Aram. And the king of Aram had this passion to destroy Israel. And so what would happen, he would strategize with his generals and say, hey, this is how we're going to wipe out Israel. It was so interesting. But every time he went and placed his soldiers and sent out his generals, Israel knew they were coming. So he finally had this joint session, and he came back, and he says, hey, this is upsetting me. Is there a traitor here? Is somebody giving and leaking our information out to the Israelis? And the scriptures say, no, <laughs> no. But, but I'll tell you what's happening. There's this guy, this prophet named Elisha, and every time we strategize, he tells the king of Israel. And the king of Israel responds. Well, that kind of really ticked the king of Aram. He says, we got to go get this guy. We're never going to, to beat up Israel. So the scriptures tell us that they find out where Elisha is. They surround his house and actually a city with all of his army. The scriptures tell us this. The next morning, when Elisha's servant actually got up, went outside to get the morning paper, and his jaw dropped. (laughs) Whoa! Whoa! He goes back inside, and really, Elisha had every great reason to fear. But something was different about Elisha. He had a heavenly perspective. He had a heavenly eyesight that his servant didn't. 
And the scriptures tell us, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. Very interesting. Elisha says this, don't be afraid to a servant. Again, that's easy to say, Elisha, did you look out the window? I mean, we're in trouble. This is a crisis. Don't be afraid, Elisha told them, for there are more on our side than theirs. Can you imagine just even stopping right there? He said, yeah, I've heard that. I know that. I know God is powerful. I know God is really wonderful and dandy and terrific. But look outside. Look outside. Do you understand? They're here for you. And since I'm with you, they're here for me. Then Elijah prayed. How cool is this? Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. <laughs> we talked about spiritual warfare last week. We did. About acknowledging the enemy but not being ruled by the enemy. So Elisha prayed this. All of a sudden they saw the, the sky filled with the multitudes of angelic hosts. And then Elisha prayed this. And you can read this story. It's kind of cool. He said, Lord, close all the eyes of the enemy soldiers. So the Lord did that. Elisha walks out, talks to whoever he needs to talk to, leads them to Samaria, which is kind of the capital right there. And then Elisha says this, Lord, open their eyes. They open their eyes. They're in enemy territory. And they look around just totally, what what are we going to do? I'm pretty sure they didn't have their arms at this time. I'm pretty sure they, they took away all that kind of stuff. But what do they do? Elisha just says, hey, why don't you feed those guys? Let's have a banquet and send them back home. <laughs> a little bit odd, but how cool is that? How cool that Elisha knew God so well. He didn't fear. He could stay calm. In fact, give the advice to someone who was shaking in their boots. And then what about Daniel 3? Daniel 3, so many of you, again, once again know this story. But the Babylonians were coming in because Israel was worshiping idols. They didn't obey God. And God says, hey, I'm going to give you chance after chance after chance to renew your relationship. And all you are is uh, like having an adulterous relationship. And you keep worshiping other gods. God finally said, that's it. And I'm going to use Babylon, Babylon, (laughs) I'm going to use Babylonian, Babylon, and they're going to come in and they're going to punish you. Well, what they did is they, Babylon did do that. They came in and conquered. They ravished basically Jerusalem and the countryside there and deported the Jews. But the scriptures tell us in all of Daniel that four men stayed the course. In Daniel 3, we only look at three of them. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as you read through these initial chapters of Daniel, you'll find out that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon at this time, he was a head case. He was. 
He, he seemed to, to be um, kind of with it and then not so with it. And at this moment, he had this idea that he would build a statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Most people think it was of him, but it's not really clear in the scriptures. And he basically sends this edict out, everybody, everyone, when you hear the band play, I want you to worship. I want you to bow down. Scriptures tell us that three guys don't. They refused. They were government officials at that time. And so the scripture tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was pretty upset and brings these three guys in because they refused to bow down when everyone else did. We don't know where Daniel was at this moment and assuming he wasn't around because I'm sure he would have been in this. But this is what the three guys answer. When standing before the most powerful king, ready to toss them into an incinerator, a furnace. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never ever serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. The scriptures tell us, and again, so many of you know the story, but the king was distorted with rage. He had the furnace stoked and he had these three guys tossed in. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the bonfire last night. If some of you were with us at Stotty's farm, that thing was huge. Now, granted, I think their fire was a little bigger, but, but it kind of looked like that. Because as soon as they open up the doors, the scriptures tell us, and toss the three guys in, the soldiers were killed because of the heat. Nebuchadnezzar was quickly spellbound, though. And he gazed in there. And he saw four people, not roasting, but walking around. Most scholars think the fourth was Jesus, it certainly was an angel. But somehow, these guys weren't dead. They were walking. Nebuchadnezzar quickly called them out. Couldn't believe it. Didn't even smell like smoke. And asked them, what is going on? God received the glory for this. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now specifically, prayer is not mentioned here. But all the way through Daniel, 
the praying or the prayer or the Hebrews that were there and focused on had a praying reputation. Daniel again was tossed in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6 because he was a prayer. We know this is that these three guys were confident in God's presence and in God's sovereignty. And let me just say this, this time they were rescued. If you're reading Hebrews, there's many folks who were following God and some of them got sawn in half. Some of them were burned at the stake. And you can go through that list in Hebrews chapter 11. Not everybody gets rescued, at least in our eyes. But maybe they really do get rescued because maybe they see Jesus early than the rest of us. Let me try to wrap this up. As we look at this text, it brings us seriously to the Red Sea rule number three. And that is pray. 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 Stay calm and be confident in God. There are four scriptures that as I close this time, I I just want you to remember, worthy to memorize, worthy to make plaques out of, worthy to highlight in your Bibles. These are critical verses. Let's start with James chapter 5, verse 16. The brother of Jesus was known as Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees praying. And he says this, it's in the top of your bulletin, too, if you look at that. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, again, prayer may not be a priority for all of us or even most of us. It's hard to pray sometimes, especially in this culture where we want to be in control and we just feel again that we may not need God's help or I'm just going to wait for God's help for all the really big things. But the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, it's interesting if you read through the book of Jeremiah, there are quite a few incidents that God says, don't pray for Israel anymore, Jeremiah. And it sticks out and it bothers you. It bothers me. But I think one of the things that we recognize as we look at the scriptures is how powerful prayer is. And God says, no, I am going to punish these people. They have disobeyed me. They are worshiping other gods. Jeremiah, stop. Don't do it. Don't pray. There is something that happens when we get on our knees and go before God and come boldly into his throne room. It's powerful, and it has great results. Look at Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, and just reading through. Oh, I'm sorry, it's wrong on your... On your uh, uh, screen there. It's chapter two, or excuse me, chapter four, verses two to four. And this is 
what Paul writes in prison. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about His mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And devote yourself to prayer. Not kind of a casual thing, but literally put it in your calendar. Literally take time to pray. Don't do it when you're sleepy, although you can, but, but do it when you're alert and always with a thankful heart. Apparently, the focus right here is you. Because then Paul just goes, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan. That's why I'm here in chains. I love this part because he doesn't ask for freedom here. He was saying, by the way, uh, yeah, pray, devote yourself to prayer. And by the way, my circumstances stink. I, I just want you to know, I'm in jail. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I like wrote a lot of the books in the Bible. What is God thinking? I should be out of prison. So why don't you pray that I just, you know, Miraculously, do the thing maybe Peter did, open up those doors, <laughs> walk right through. No. He just says, I, I just want to know, pray for me, pray for boldness. I'm in a lousy situation, but I just want to make sure I share all the mysteries, all the wonderful things that God's doing. Then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. The Apostle Paul writes in the same prison, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. And by the way, some of us, again, this is right at the end of the text or right at the end of the passage of putting on all the armor of God. Many of us don't even see this as maybe part of the armor of God to protect you against the wiles of the devil. But I see it is part of the armor of God. It says, pray, stay alert, and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching the message as God's ambassador. So pray that I'll keep speaking boldly for him as I should. Again, no concern about him. At this moment, pray, pray, pray at all times. Pray on every occasion. May it be the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Pray, pray often. Devote yourself to prayer. And then in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. He starts off saying this, so humble yourselves. And, and I actually think, that this is critical in our prayer. So humble yourself under God's mighty, excuse me, under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I think this is how we pray. 
out of humility. Lord, I'm not going to demand answers. Even though it seems really weird, there's a Red Sea and there's mountains and there's a lot of sharp swords behind me. Lord, Lord, I, I need to trust you. Lord, I normally worry about this because <laughs> it doesn't look like there's any way out. There isn't. So, Lord, Lord, I'm not going to worry. I'm not. I'm going to toss my burden and my care on you. I'm going to do that, God. How powerful. It doesn't restrict you. It, it doesn't put a burden on you. It just forces you to be able to see how wonderful and powerful and enable God is. And maybe God is going to rescue you this time. Or maybe he's not. Maybe he's not. Or maybe just not the way that you think. And then stay alert. Peter writes, watch out for your great enemy. And we read this last week. But it's right in context here. Toss your worries on God and then stay alert. This enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. I'm with you. Do you get it? You know, Thomas Watson was a Puritan. I've been enjoying so much reading Puritan prayers, reading some of the Puritan um, histories and biographies and listening to them as they grow and trust God in new and fresh ways. Thomas Watson says this, faith to prayer is what a feather is to an arrow. Now, if you never shoot an arrow or you're not a hunter, you, you'll realize that that's not such a big deal. But, but if you ever shot an arrow without a feather, it just kind of goes anywhere it wants almost. It's kind of cool. It's made sense to me. Faith to prayer is what a feather is to an arrow. You see, that's why when our group, our small groups get together, they focus on prayer. It's one of the things they do every week when they gather. They open up the Word. There's fellowship time. There's time to be praying for one another. We know that prayer is important, that prayer works, and that, and that prayer is needed for each other. We as a church, we have a corporate time when we pray. We know how important it is when we gather as saints and pray for people and situations and ministries and scenarios. We know that God is honored. And we pray sometimes shaking because our faith isn't always there. But rule number three, Red Sea rule number three, is no matter what the circumstances, pray. Stay calm and be confident in God. Let's pray before we continue to worship. Lord, we come before you boldly into your presence. We are sometimes just surprised that you hear us. 
you answer us. We get to come before the King of Kings. And we even have the Holy Spirit pray for us. Because sometimes our thoughts don't come together. Father, we pray for our faith. We, we pray that we would grow. We pray, Father, we would fight our battles by coming to you, by praising you, by thanking you because you are close beside us. We pray these things in your son's name.